Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. First Timothy chapter 5, Strong Churches. We've been studying this whole book of Timothy because it's about the church at Ephesus. And I believe, man, I'm going to try to say this without getting emotional. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I believe with all my heart that uh, two, two and a half years ago, Jack was part of this council with me. Uh, Kendall, who's, by the way, Kendall's not feeling good today, woke up with a rash. Actually, stayed awake all night with a rash. He's itching to death, so we want to pray for him. And uh, you know, we're supposed to take a trip today, and we're going to postpone that because of his rash. Um, uh, but Kendall, one of our elders, Al, Brother Al and Brother Robert Elders, we were praying about this and talking about this. I had a church, official church meeting about it uh, in December that said, I believe our church, uh, for all our goodness and all the good things at Northside, I believe we're falling away from the love of our, from our first love, like the church at Ephesus, and it concerned me. I wasn't mad. I was, I was just worried that we had lost what it means to be deeply in love with Christ, and we were just kind of muddling through. And uh, so lots of prayers, lots of prayers here at the altar, lots of prayers in my office with Brother Jack and other prayer warriors that I pray with, some pastors in town that pray with me regularly. And uh, here we are, months and months later, God calling us to look at, at uh, 1 Timothy and study that together. 2020 crazy year, forest fires, all of Australia almost burned down, then you got COVID, and you got murder hornets, and you know, who knows what else is coming now. We have an election coming up. Yay. All that crazy stuff's happening and riots and all kinds of crazy. It's been a crazy year. And what's God done to Northside? He's restoring our first love. When I'm here on Sundays, I sense God doing a fresh work in me, in all of us, because He's brought people who have their first love here for us. And, and I bless all of you that are here today. I really do. It is a fresh work for Northside. And it means the world that God would do exactly what we ask Him to. Not because we asked, but because it was His church and He was building it all along. Amen? Amen. So I'm excited to be in, in this book in, in uh, Timothy because it's about all the things we need to have for strong churches. We need to have strong churches and need strong men that will pray lifting up holy hands. That's all about chapter 2. Strong women that understand their role in church and, and understand their responsibilities. We talked about all that. Uh, we talked about having your testimony crystal clear, having the doctrine of the truth crystal clear in the early part. When we get to chapter 5, there's all these family stuff that's happening. Chapter 5 is all about family. And fathers and sons need to function, churches need to function like fathers and sons, older men as fathers, younger men as sons. Younger man's not to rebuke an older man, uh, but to treat him as a father, to love him like a father. And and younger men are to grow in the faith under those spiritual fathers. But sometimes the spiritual fathers need help. They need to be adjusted. And you do that as a son to a father. Amen? That's, that's what it says. And then mothers and daughters, the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Uh, then Paul works through all the stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks um, in, in the body of Christ. But ultimately, when he gets to verse 15, he's going to talk more about leadership again. We went through the whole thing about widows last week. And now he's going to talk about this leadership stuff that's happening. Strong churches have strong discipline in the church and strong 
uh, sense of purity among its leaders from the people. Well, watch how this happens. Uh, strong churches treat their leaders with honor and accountability, uh, and then they need their leaders to have really good relationships with each other. Um, it's an interesting passage. Chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to tell you real funny. It's a funny story to me. It may not be to you all. It's really funny to me. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. If I was Timothy, I would have stopped reading my, the letter out loud to the church right there at that point when I think Paul just called me an ox. Because this letter was written to Timothy to read to the church at Ephesus. And so Timothy's the head elder. And so he says, all right, here's what Paul says. The elders who rule well, looking at his group of elders that are there, himself included, are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox. Wait a minute, Paul, you just called me an ox. What are you doing? You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, Old Testament law. The laborer is worthy of wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Uh, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water. Here's a, this is like a, a parenthesis in the whole book. Paul, Paul writing a personal note to Timothy. No longer drink water exclusively, but a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy had a weak stomach. Verse 24, The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident. Those which are otherwise uh, cannot be concealed. So here's the point of all this. Strong churches honor their leadership. They honor their spiritual leaders. They honor their elders, right? That's really the whole point. And it's an interesting, it's a hard passage to preach. I've tried several times this week to get, uh, see if I could talk somebody else into doing this one. Because um, you're, as a pastor, you're saying, hey, here's the thing. Y'all need to, you know, pay double honor to your pastor. <laughs> That's what it says, right? I picture Timothy reading this letter out loud to the church. And when he gets to this part, I picture him mumbling through this session. And then he, it's a worthy of well, well, if they're well deserved, it's a double honor and discipline in case of that. Because it's all about him. And, you know, Timothy wouldn't want attention to himself. None of us as pastors do. But if we're going to be true to the whole word of God and we're going to learn what a healthy church is, uh, we got to look at this and we got to take, take it on kind of step by step. Now, here's the story. <clears throat> um, I've preached through 1 Timothy twice in my whole time at Northside. I've been here 21 years now. So, Preached through, preached through 1 Timothy twice. Uh, the first time was in 2003, my third year here. And uh, we were teaching through, at that time we called it prevailing churches, and uh, churches that are strong and prevailing, same concept, and uh, learned a lot since then, and changed a lot of my teaching, strengthened it, I think, as we teach through it, because i got 20 years of experience with me. But <clears throat> back in those days, our Constitution required us to have a congregational meeting once a year, and the uh, church would meet, and on the third year of your congregational meeting, back in those days, we don't do this anymore, um, so don't get any ideas, but back in those days, we would have these congregational meetings where you had to vote on the pastor. You had to decide if you liked him or disliked him, and it was, it was literally a vote. Um, it was, it was a, they call it a vote of confidence, and uh, it's in our original constitution and bylaws. And so 
So uh, we came on that Sunday, and it was I was preaching through through this very passage. Um, the Sunday that we were having our vote Sunday, as I'm preparing for it, I realized we've come up to First Timothy chapter five, and I should. On the day they're going to vote on me, I should preach what I'm going to preach to you here in a second. I should tell everybody while you're preparing to vote for me today, I'm worthy of double honor. That's what I should be, what I should be saying, right? And I want to tell you, I couldn't do it. I wrestled in my office. I wrestled in prayer. I wrestled at this altar throughout the week going, Lord, there's no way. This is some hilarious joke that you have. The, the timing of me stretching this, you know, you know how I do studies. We've been in Timothy a long time now. So I've been in Timothy for a while. I didn't time it out to meet exactly on the Sunday, our May 18th vote. I didn't time it out to meet exactly on that Sunday, but it did. It showed up on that Sunday. So I skipped it. And, uh, so I did an, a, what Josh and I call a one-off. I just found something else to preach on. You, you know, grace. That's always hard. Preached on grace. Uh, and then, and then we had our vote and, that vote didn't go so well. I was fired and rehired on the same day by the church. Thank God for godly elders and good men. And exactly what this passage has been teaching all along, our church had this foundation under us at the time that was run by godly elders, but there were some congregants that were not good and not wise and not obedient uh, to the Lord, and they were sort of seeking to destroy, uh, sort of tear down some, the work of God. And so some of the elders stood up very wisely and did some very, they didn't break any rules in the Constitution. They actually followed the Constitution, the letter of the law, and rehired me that afternoon as the interim pastor and because uh, the, the board could hire the interim. And so I got rehired for the same salary, for the same job, for the same responsibilities as interim until we could resolve our Constitution issues uh, so people that don't attend our church can't come and vote me out because the ones that voted me out hadn't been here for almost two and a half years. So. <laughs> I hate that story, but it's a good it's a good story to say. It was a very hard Sunday, but y'all did great. The elders did great on that Sunday to resolve the situation. And I knew I was sitting on the front pew over here. My kids are crying. My wife's crying. We're having a day. It's not a it's not a fun day, but it was an awesome day because you know what I knew. And I even told my kids the night before this is probably going to happen because we we got rumors that there was a family going to show up in mass to outvote the church because all they needed was 25% to win. So, and we, it was, it was May. So everybody's on vacation. So our regular church folks weren't there. It's just a weird Sunday, but here's what I knew. And I remember telling my family this, God called me to Northside. I've been here three years. If he's calling me somewhere else, that's fine. This will, today will be the de declaration of that, but I'm positive. I'm supposed to go to this meeting and sit through it and wait and see what God's going to do because God called me here. This is a calling for me. It's not a career. You understand? That's what pastors are supposed to do. It's not a career thing, and it's not a popularity thing. I didn't care if I wasn't liked. So, <laughs> one of my favorite memories is on the front row as as the as the whole vote went bad and the we closed the conference because basically they voted the pastor out of the sanctuary or out of the out of his job, um, and everybody's leaving. Um, but the board's going to have a special meeting and fix all this. But as everybody's leaving, it was interesting how people talked to me. I could tell how they voted by how they talked. Like if they're like, oh, it's, I'm so sorry that happened. We'll sit, you know, hope everything goes well for you. Like you're leaving, right? Others are going, what, what's going on? What's happening? You know, and it was, they were loving us. Then there were others that were just, just waving past us. So it was tremendous to see God do this crazy work. But it's right out of this passage. 
And the very next Sunday, I preach what you're going to see right here. Strong churches honor their spiritual leaders. It's actually saying all of the elders, by the way, which includes our elders in the building and the one at home scratching itself, (laughs) Kendall. Um, there, it refers to the pastors, the teachers, the shepherds, the overseers, and all the New Testament spiritual leaders. But here's what it says you honor. You honor them if they rule well. You see it in the text? Look real close. Honor those who rule well means they serve and direct the affairs with excellence. They do their very best. No such thing as perfect, by the way. Please get that out of your head real quick. But they're to be leaders and teachers and trainers and equippers. And if they do well, they should be honored double honored if they do well. Um, they should be doubly honored. And I want to exp- express that word to you. It was misunderstood by the time you got to the third century church. Um, it became a, a thing where you would go to the monastery or to the monks, to the priest of the cities, and you would give them a lot more food than they needed. Um, it was like supersizing their meals, right? That's kind of what it came to mean. There, there are two elements of this scripturally. One, it means financial remuneration. Weird thing to preach on. Sorry, it's right in the text. So, but the word means to pay a compensation. Paul's encouraging Timothy and the church at Ephesus to properly compensate those who serve well. It's the saint's responsibility to compensate the elders, spiritual leaders that have impacted their lives. Um, there's an Old Testament precedent about this, about farm animals. If a farm animal takes good care of you, you take good care of it. If a farm animal takes good care of you, you take care of it. So Paul is calling pastors farm animals at some point, I think. So, <laughs> But but if, if an oxen is wearing himself out for the good of your family and providing this grain for you as he walks the treadmill to do that, you let him eat all he can eat. Let him have all he wants, right? That's why there's so many fat pastors. I'm not kidding. I don't know what you're saying. So the priests and elders are supposed to wear themselves out. Jesus quotes the same passage in Luke chapter 10. And it refers to the principle of financial financial money. So, First Corinthians chapter nine. I want you to turn there with me. First Corinthians nine, chapter nine, verse one. For it is written in the law of Moses, the exact same quote from Paul in chapter nine of First Corinthians. First Corinthians nine, verse uh, the early part says, "For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing." God is not concerned about. Uh, uh, God is not concerned about the oxen, is He? Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, Paul says, for our sake it was written, because a plowman ought to plow in hope and thresh to thresh in the hope of sharing the crops. Verse 11, look at what he says. Skip down to chapter 9, verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, talking about the spiritual leaders around Corinth, is it too much if we reap material things from you? We sowed spiritual things... We should reap material things. You see what he's saying? The oxen is working and he gets his grain. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, from the Old Testament stories, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. For years I've heard people incorrectly teach that missionaries and ministers... Um, should kind of live at the lowest levels financially um, uh, in, a, in a community. They should, they should humble themselves and live at these lowest levels. And I would say Paul would completely disagree with that. He would say he's actually working 
as the honoring, honorable level of society, the most important thing in a society is its spiritual needs. And the pastor should live higher because of that. It's actually in the text. Double honor means financial remuneration. Uh, and I don't mean for that to offend anybody. If it does, you should probably take it up with God because He's the one that wrote all this. Uh, but He really does want His men who lead to be taken care of. You felt you follow me? He wants the men to be taken care of in leadership. Um, and then He also means double honor in the sense of reverence, in the sense of honoring and revering those men. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'd like you to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It's talking about being highly esteemed. Watch this passage. Especially those who preach and teach. Paul says, But we request of you, the Thessalonian church, great church, by the way, love the Thessalonian church, really strong church. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And here's the phrase. That you esteem them very highly in love. Because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And I just want to tell you, that the church at Northside's done a good job of all of this with me. I have zero complaints about anything God's ever done through to me and through me and with me in this church family. We had that little hiccup in 2003 that I'm not allowed to mention anymore. But, uh, but even then, God protected me through the eldership and the leadership. The spiritual leaders of this church took charge of all that and repaired it and did a great job. And they've taken care of our family, and you can tell just you know by the weight I carry, I'm not starving and not going poor. So, but the but here's what's supposed to happen: that the elder is supposed to be ruling well, and he gives two things. He's supposed to be preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching. This is one of the funnest things I've ever. In 40 years of ministry, I have a blast trying to get people to figure this out. When I came here to Northside, I was told um, after two or three years regularly. Um, you're a great teacher, but we miss the preaching. That's what I hear all the time. You're a great teacher, but we miss the preaching. Because we used to have some people that would preach. And so I get evangelists to come in and preach to you. That's what I call that, okay? So Because I'm a great teacher, and preaching, you know, seems to be something different. But I want to tell you this. When I was in Birmingham, at the church I came from in Birmingham, both churches I came from in Birmingham, I was considered the preacher, not the teacher. You know why? Because there was a guy there that was a way stronger teacher than me, and when he was he was the one in the pulpit regularly. So when I got in the pulpit and did what I do, which y'all call teaching, they all called it preaching. I was like, nobody even knows what it is, <laughs> right? It's they're, they're they're very similar. Preaching proclaims the truth and exhorts and motivates and appeals to emotions and hearts, and it's an admonition of you to move in a certain direction. That's preaching. Teaching is the instruction of how to do that. It's the truth that says, here's the practical way. Here's what the truth says. Now, here's a practical way to do it. And by the way, if I'm a good teacher, when when the lesson's over, we're going to go out and do it together. I'm going to go show you how. That's what teaching is. Teaching is showing you how, but also in, instructing you in the specifics of it. Both are important. Timothy doesn't say a pastor needs to do one or the other. Or Paul doesn't tell Timothy, you do one or the other. He says, do both, right? And so I would like to think I try to do both. Most of the time I try to be motivational, encouraging, try to give you the big picture, but also try to give you the examples and admonish you on how to do that. So we see real clear here, strong churches take care of their pastors. They take care of the spiritual leaders. They honor spiritual leaders and appreciate you guys doing that well here. And we're just going to continue to see the fruit from that. Um, we're going to raise up, and Josh couldn't be here today, our young pastor couldn't be here today, but we're going to raise him up as a strong leader and take good care of him as well. Amen?
Strong churches also discipline spiritual leaders. This is the part I wouldn't, I would have mumbled through if I was reading this letter <laughs> to to uh, to the uh, elders in the church at Ephesus. If it was my letter from Paul, but it really means here's what they're supposed to do: you're supposed to protect my reputation. You know how? You fix me when I break. <laughs> when I do something out of bounds, you correct me. I'm trying to remember in 20 years. I'm not. I'm not like my the rest of my family. Some of people in the room know the rest of my family. I tip, look at my brother eyebrows furred. I typically don't raise my voice. I'm not a voice raised person. When I get angry, I'll lower my voice. I get real serious. I'll even walk away. I'm not the guy that yells like some other people from my family that might be in the room. I don't know who we're talking about. I don't know either. So I'm not that guy. Okay. But I can tell you in my 20 years here, I have, I have two times I ever remember yelling. One of them was well-deserved. A person needed to be dealt with in the parking lot. And I dealt with them firmly. And it welled up in me as it was more of a righteous anger. The second time was not good. I lost my mind in the hallway with a single mom of all things, who I love very much. <clears throat> and uh, she got on my last nerve for the last time. <clears throat> and I got in the flesh and lost my mind. In the hallway, right before a Bible study, with a whole bunch of people listening. So you know what the pastor had to be done dealt with right here. <clears throat> Somebody had to come to me and go, "Hey, I don't think that was the way you should have handled that." I'm like, "You have no idea." Wait, what'd you say? I don't think that's how you should handle that. And then I had to go. You're right. I need to get that person in my office. And then I got to go to the Bible study that was standing right there when it happened and go, "I'm really stupid, pastor." Right? I have to. I have to be dealt with. Protect the elder's reputation. Um, we're supposed to, as elders, um, be dealt with um, by people who love us. And so you can't bring an accusation against us unless there's two or three. In other words, you can't just make something up. Had that seen that happen many times. My first church I ever served in uh, full-time at uh, the Alliance Church, uh, I had an elder there, an old, old man, Mr. Pope, an uh, old, old man, and uh, for some reason, he just didn't like me. And I could never figure out exactly what the deal was. I was 24, maybe 25, you know, so I'm just really wet behind the ears trying to figure all this out. But he would, he would sneak up. He, didn't, he made so much noise in the bushes. I'd hear him every time. But he would sneak to the window of my office and peek in my office and see if he could catch me doing something. And at one point, the school had this big candy sale. Christian school there had a big candy sale. And they stored all the candy in my office, tons of it in my office, boxes and boxes of chocolate candy. I am a chocoholic, by the way. It was a bad idea. It really was a bad idea. But he was convinced I was going to steal that candy, steal, steal out of it every once in a while, you know. So, so he would watch the boxes real careful. And I would see him. I could see his reflection. I had a picture here, and I could see his reflection in the picture in the window while he was peeking in right? Just an old man. People, for some reason, like to find flaws in ministers, right? It's not a healthy thing. Don't get on that train uh, if you can stay off of it. It's okay to correct us, by the way, um, and we want to be corrected, but strong churches need to discipline their leaders, and you do that by protecting our reputation, but find out the facts first. Don't just jump to some crazy conclusion, and don't go rushing in. You need some facts. We've all dealt with that. <clears throat> Harry Ironside one of my favorite commentaries, has this true story. This was printed in a bulletin, uh, true story. pastor got in the pulpit and, and uh, said, hey, I, I want you all to read the story in the bulletin. And here's what the bulletin said. I've learned of a story that's been widely circ- 
circulated on a recent occasion that I forbade my wife to attend the services at another church which were of highly emotional character. When she refused to obey me, I've heard this rumor that, uh, and attended without my permission, I went to that church, I dragged her out by the hair of her head, and I beat her so severely that she had to be sent to the hospital. I've heard, heard this said. So I feel it's necessary to make this statement to our church today in regard to the story. In the first place, I never forbade my wife to attend any service to which she might wish to go. <clears throat> Secondly, I have left her at perfect liberty to do as she pleases in the matters of this kind. Um, I did not, secondly, I did not drag her by the hair of the head from such a service, nor did I beat her when I brought her home. And in the third place, she's not so badly hurt that she had to be sent to the hospital. She is not in the hospital at all. And in the fourth place, as some of you probably know at the church, I've never even been married, so I don't even have a wife who I could accomplish these things with. He's like, how did this all get started, right? <clears throat> now, I want to tell you something. That was Harry Ironside writing that in the 50s, right? I want to tell you that the Internet today can make anything sound true and right, right? And you can jump to some terrible conclusion really fast without getting yourself in a good place and understanding the truth. So what Paul's advising the church to do is let's get the facts so don't start false teaching or false rumors and false stories going around. Once it's passed through several persons, the testimony of the most devoted man of God can be run down once you spread it. And so you got to be very careful. D.L. Moody used to say that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can even get its boots on to pursue it. <laughs> and uh, that was before the Internet as well. So uh, it actually can go all the way around the world now. <clears throat> but we're supposed to be protected by these witnesses. See, as a pastor... You're my protection. You're not my enemy. You're not trying to find something wrong. If you see something that needs to be addressed, you can address it. But just do it biblically. And definitely don't rumor it and start a mess. I, just by show of hands, and this will break my heart, but how many of you know churches where that's just been a disaster, right? People have been broken by all that. And it's, it damages the church. Paul goes on to say, if he has a problem, you present him to the church and and you are you presenting in private for repentance, and I've had that. I've done that. I've sat in room with the elders here, and we've worked through stuff that I've messed up. Some of us, it, it was sinful for me to lose my temper with that person. I had to deal with that, right? And I've had other things where we've just worked through that. I'm okay with working through that. I really am. And if you think your pastor's perfect, since we're on the internet, I can't give you my wife's phone number, but you could call her anytime. She'll explain it. She'll explain it to you. It's no, not like that at all. So. Um, there, there is no perfect pastor, definitely no perfect spiritual leader, right? But striving for godliness. You remember the text where Paul's saying, hey, we need men that strive for godliness. Strive for it, long for it, chase after it, pursue it with all your effort. That's what God's looking for in a man. That's what he wants, and that's what God wants, or Paul wants Timothy to draw out in honor. And where there needs to be addressed, you address it. <clears throat> if, if, and then, by the way, if he's unrepentant, now here's the difference with a pastor. If a pastor's unrepentant with his elders, when the elders' spiritual leaders address him, if he's unrepentant, what do you got to do now? Well, now you got to tell the whole church. That's no fun. Been there, done that. Several churches I've served in, we've had to do that. Um, but the but the pastor needs to address the pastor needs to be addressed in, in public because he's a public spiritual leader. I always say it's the difference between 
if a layman in the church, if a regular church attender goes through a hard time and goes through some sin, and we address that sin and they're unrepentant, we can work through it quietly. And it's like a grenade going off in a church, like a grenade. Somebody rolled a grenade in church. We've had this several times at our church. Somebody rolls a grenade in, boom, and a whole bunch of people get hurt. Some people get so wounded they leave. Some people get so confused they leave. Some people just heal up here and we get, we get stronger together because we had a grenade roll into our family, right? But when a pastor goes off the rails and is unrepentant, it's like a bomb hits the church. It's a whole different deal. It creates a crater where lots of people get hurt. And there's some pressure on that, by the way. You need to know all of your spiritual elders and leaders feel that pressure regularly. You know, I don't want to screw up because there's a whole bunch of people looking for, to help for help from me, from the Lord, right? And I don't want to mess that up. I really don't want to mess that up. So like Robert, my good friend Robert does all the time, pray for me. He prays for me all the time. All the time he prays for me um, that the enemy would not be able to rule in my life, that, that I would follow God and hear God's direction. And I really, really appreciate that. But then we need to present the sin of this pastor to the church uh, when he's been unrepentant. And verse th- or the third thing we want to say is you need to practice consistent discipline. Paul says there's no favoritism, Timothy. Just because one of the elders is your friend doesn't mean you can secretly not deal with that. If you have an elder that's a friend but unrepentant, you got to practice consistent discipline with him. No favoritism. Um, Timothy, you can't be more harsh on some than you can be with others. Um, so the strong church, look, has carefully selected leaders. But you see the whole issue of this chapter? The whole issue of this chapter is we're a family. We work together and we work through our problems together. And we don't beat each other up in it. We help each other. We help each other become stronger. So then he says, look, let's not lay, hastily lay hands on somebody. I'm 100% guilty of doing that a couple of times in my ministry days. I rushed in where somebody was trying to help and serve, and I wanted to hastily lay hands on them for ministry and leadership. And Paul says, hey, take your time, study their hearts, let their character be developed among the men of the church, let there be some before you're ordaining people in the ministry and kind of plugging them in high levels of ministry, you need to be very careful. And the laying on of hands back in those days was done by the apostles, right? And, and of course, it was nice to have an apostle around. That'd be a guy that walked with Jesus or heard Jesus' voice, um, saw Jesus personally. Um, those guys don't exist anymore. So what we do now is elders appoint elders. Elders appoint leaders. Elders appoint deacons. And our church is set up to do exactly that. Um, and so the caution is that elders just need to be careful about who they appoint because the church is liable. The church is liable. Um, this is bad church story day, I guess. <laughs> um, but a church I served at in Birmingham, uh, one of the senior saints that was on staff, older man, um, was actually embezzling, uh, carefully, craftily embezzling money from uh, some of the seniors uh, that were making donations to the church He'd worked out a system where he would get a bonus off of what they were donating into a uh, 501c3. He was getting a kick off of it. And that was, it was illegal. It was all wrong. Very well done, by the way. But eventually, because he worked at a church where the senior pastor was a banker, <laughs> um, the, the banker could look at the records and see something askew. <laughs> and so once everything was found out, um, it was time to deal with it. And here's what the church did. Of course, they disciplined him publicly, uh, honorably, according to Scripture, but publicly. Um, And then the church went to everybody for the last four years that he'd been taken from. You know what they said? We owe all you back. We owe you back all that we took. 
we didn't take it, he did. He doesn't have it anymore, but we're going to pay you back. And so this church did a very biblical thing and took care of that because they knew the responsibility rested within the church. But here's, here's what I want you to hear. Sin always affects multiple people. It's not just you that gets affected by sin. Leaders can damage many people, but an individual can do the same thing. And so Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to remain pure. Fight to remain pure and godly. Guys, ladies, guys especially. <laughs> Fight to, for your purity to walk with the Lord. You're a testimony to this local body. You're a testimony to the church where you regularly attend. You're a testimony of purity and godliness. And you're setting an example for every generation. You know, for, for the young men, for, for Landon and Lawson and all the young guys that are going to follow us in our footsteps. I want them to see godly young men walking closer to the Lord every week, worshiping God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Paul's calling these men to. And he's even saying, look, even when you get up into the leadership, the spiritual leaders of the church, the elders, elders do the same thing. Pursue God with all your heart. Pursue purity and righteousness and holiness. Pursue it and pursue justice and, and recovery. Do everything you can to be all you're supposed to be for the Lord. And then he throws in the parenthesis, which I don't know why. I always picture in my head, Paul's, Paul's in jail writing this letter to Timothy about Ephesus, and he's got all these thoughts in his head about Ephesus. And he's trying to help Timothy sort out, here's how you deal with the leaders, here's how you deal with the widows. Timothy, don't forget about this doctrine, and don't forget about this truth. He's got all this stuff he's writing out from the inspiration of the Lord, right? And then I picture you know, one of the guards coming in and handing him a cup of wine, you know, saying, hey, you'd ask for some wine earlier because you were thirsty. And he goes, oh yeah, Timothy's got a bad stomach. <laughs> so he says, Timothy has these stomach problems, and he says, Timothy, I'd like you to, the, water, the water's going to kill you, son. <laughs> don't, don't just keep doing that. There's ten historical references during that time that, that wine cured stomach ailments. It was the Pepto-Bismol of the day. And so Paul's just giving Timothy some medical advice as the elder, right? As the elder. And he's saying, hey, I want you to take that. And then, uh, but then he's telling Timothy, Timothy, watch your life. Will you evaluate your life? Some of the sins are evident. Look at what he says. Some of the sins are evident. Some of them are hidden. Some of the sins are evident. Some of them are hidden. Why is Paul exposing that to him? Timothy, just because you're the pastor, just because you're an elder, just because you're considered a godly man, doesn't mean there's not going to be stuff you need to deal with, son. Some of it's evident. And people are going to see it, and some of it's not. And it's going to be found out later, but damaging either way. So Timothy, will you please just walk in purity? Will you walk in holiness and purity? Now I want to finish, before we take communion here in a minute, <clears throat> I want to finish with this uh, really important uh, deal here. Um, why, why, would, why would the Lord God inspire Paul to write such detailed stuff about the church in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus? Those are all pastoral epistles. Why has it got all the instructions about what elders are supposed to look like, what deacons are supposed to look like, what deaconesses are supposed to look like, what the women of the church are supposed to be functioning as and doing, uh, why would it even go to the point of saying, hey, um, if, if the guy's doing a good job preaching and teaching, not just, not just say what he's doing, but if he's doing a good job as a pastor, no, if he's preaching and teaching well and he's leading well, why would it say all that specifically? Right? 
It's very specific. Have you noticed the Bible's not specific about some stuff you'd like it to be specific about? You're like, that's kind of vague. I don't know exactly. I'm gonna have, I guess I'm going to have to pray about that and let the Lord lead me. But this is a lot more specific. Why is it very specific? I'm going to tell you why it's specific. Because God loves His church. The building, He loves the building at Northside. Man, when I said His church, I meant you. You're the ones He's caring for writing all this. You know why you gave your children instructions when they were coming up like, hey, we don't run out into the street and play. You don't play in the street. My, my kids grew up in a neighborhood where all the kids played in the street except for three. Joshua, Caleb, and Mary. We don't play in the street, ever. If you're going to play in the street, I'm going to be the one in the street with you, but you're never going to go out there by yourself, ever. It's not going to happen. Why did I do that? Because I was a mean dad? No. Because I had some love for my kids and I wanted them to be safe. Why does God send the church these instructions? Because Jesus died on the cross so that you could be part of His family. And He wants you to act like a family. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He wants you to act like a family. He wants you to live in this family environment safely. And He wants you to take care of each other and rebuke somebody that needs rebuking and correct them if they need correcting, but do it as a family and do it in love and show the world what it means to be a loving group. Not just worldly loving, brotherly loving, but agape loving, love like Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins so you could join the family. See, He's all the time collecting up people into His family. He's all the time collecting up people to His church. The other term that He uses, one of the other terms He uses for His church is His bride. You think for one second Jesus doesn't love His bride? And He loves you so much. And so He says, hey, here's what I need to happen. I need my leaders that are leading the bride. They better be really pure. They better work really hard at their job. And they, they need to be honored if they're doing that. But here's what I want them to do. If they're, in, if they're in error, I want somebody to help them. Do it right. Do it lovingly. But it's my bride. Treat it like it's my bride. You would never harm God's bride, would you? Would you ever want to do that? When you as a Christian live outside of your uh, responsibility to the church, you're harming the bride. When you don't take the church serious, when you don't honor the Word of God and, and assemble to the church and help minister, everybody here has a part in the body. I've told you this a zillion times. Everybody here has a part in the body. And God loves you so much. He just loves you so much. He wants it to go well. So he says, hey, hang out with a bunch of people that are growing. Teach each other how to get stronger. Hold each other accountable. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, fathers to sons, sons to fathers, daughters to moms. Let's build some relationship and let's magnify Christ from within this family and get into the world and tell the world all about it. That's what the church does. And the reason all these crazy rules are here, the reason they're here, because God loves you that much. He doesn't want you to do something stupid. He doesn't want you to be ineffective at your calling to glorify Him. He wants you to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and He's modeling His love for you.